I'm having so much fun. I know you are because you see me struggling. And I feel like we, we're friends. We're family. We friends. And I feel like you're enjoying this a little bit too much. Not too much. <laughs> I'm enjoying it just the, the right, right amount. amount. <laughs> Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire News Group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team, that is taking a break from all the abortion news to catch up on all the TikTok drama. <laughs> I'm Rewire News Group Senior Editor of Law and Policy, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo, Rewire News Group's Executive Editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires y'all to stay in the fight because, folks, we need it. And the Boom Lawyer podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. Jess, Amani, it has been a bananas week. There's so much going on. Republicans have fully gone like around the bend, came to the bend, circled back around it, and they're just doing like bend laps. It's bananas. They are. They are literally like they are on the bend track, like I like don't a know. hamster on a wheel, going for a personal record here. <laughs> Truly, some of the commentary coming out from these Republicans and some of the legislation coming out of these Republican-controlled states is mind-bottling. Like when your mind gets all trapped up in a bottle, you know, mind-bottling. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's an old joke from like Blades of Glory. For some reason, I don't know why we're doing recalls to that movie. And now I have the police earworming in my head. It's a mind message bottle mashup. <laughs> message in a mind bottle okay so i want to talk about some of the amazing coverage that we have on rewirenewsgroup.com including dr mia brett because she has gotten her doctorate now dr mia brett who referred to herself as a jewish slut was very irate about a kentucky republican who had some not too classy things to say about jewish women and sex it was he Bananas. Yeah, I mean, what? A Kentucky Republican having weird views on sex and Judaism? Shut your mouth. (laughs) So he seems to think that Jewish women don't support medication abortion because Jewish women tend to have only one sexual partner and therefore don't need to avail themselves of medication abortion. Essentially, it's Jewish women aren't sluts and therefore they don't need medication abortion. Which Mia Brett took, (laughs) she took umbrage. Do people still take umbrage? Because she took umbrage. We still take umbrage. (laughs) She took umbrage and she wrote this great piece basically saying, what the fuck, man? And explaining (laughs) that really Jewish people are very sex positive. There are kosher Jewish sex toy shops. There are literally within the religion, within Judaism, it is a man's job to make sure that a woman has an orgasm. Wow. So Christians, with your missionary, your hump, dump and pump, learn something from Judaism. Learn something from the tribe. (laughs) Mark, our producer is like, oh, my God, I have to cut that part. (laughs) But that's okay. You can cut it if you want. I don't mind. I'm I'm standing up for my people. Also. (laughs) What? So off the rails already. Also, but on a more on a really, really serious note, not that the Judaism thing isn't serious, but Mia Brett did a great job of turning something serious into something irreverent and also powerful. Yeah, I mean, you gotta sometimes stand up these or you know, send up these numpties. And that's exactly what Dr. Brett's piece does. Like, cause it's dangerous to like, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, just peddling like, you know, sort of nonsense stereotypes, but then to actually suggest that this is like opposition to healthcare. What not? There's danger in that. So thank you, 
Mia for that piece. I'm sorry. Absolutely. And we've had some frightening news out of Idaho and Missouri. Yeah. Both of those states are in the thralls of some fascist fever dream, including suspending your right to travel for health care for yourself or for your kids. So there's this terrifying new trend that's popping up in state legislatures where conservatives want to block their residents' ability to leave the state to access health care. Yeah, it's really not great, to say the least. In places like Idaho, Missouri, conservative lawmakers are advancing bills that would make it a felony in some cases to help another person leave the state for something like an abortion or gender-affirming care. It's a dangerous escalation in the attacks on reproductive health care, and that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Amani, this Idaho bill. Jesus, age Christ on a biscuit. It is so bad. It is wow. so bad. Okay, so let's get into this. Yeah. Idaho has a bill entitled, quote, relating to the genital mutilation of a child. No. Yes. No. That's yes. Yes. That's what it's called. It's called relating to the genital mutilation of a child. And I could probably explain why it's called that, right? Because there was, a, there was sort of a panic about female circumcision. Right. And over the last couple of decades, particularly when it comes to women coming out of certain African countries, right, Mm -hmm. places like Kenya, Nigeria, et cetera, that sort of female circumcision panic made its way to the United States, much in the way that the AAPI panic about how immigrant women were coming here and bringing along their no girls policy with them from their countries, which wasn't happening. Right. So it was a similar parallel panic. So states began to introduce laws preventing genital mutilation of children, preventing specifically cutting the labia, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the clitoris, that sort of thing. It was a specific bill meant to address a specific thing. Now what Idaho Republicans have done is tacked on a bit that deals with gender affirming care that says, that genital mutilation essentially includes gender-affirming care like puberty blockers. Now, we know that puberty blockers are not genital mutilation, right? Right. We know that. But the fact that they are drawing that connection is an effort to otherize gender-affirming care and to make it seem as monstrous as chopping off different parts genitalia of women, right, against their will. Against their will being the being of the very, very key point, because when it comes to gender affirming care, these are parents that are trying to get care for their kids who have come out and said, I'm trans. I need help. Will you help me? This I I mean, you know, we talked about this as a dangerous escalation, but this is really just in in some ways a world apart from even the really ridiculous attacks that we've covered over the last 10 years. I mean, this is truly an iteration that we haven't seen. And so do you've been following this this piece of legislation closer than I have. Am I right that it makes it a felony for a family to leave the state to get gender affirming care? You're not right now, but you will be soon, in my estimation. So because the provision making it a felony to provide gender-affirming care was just tacked on at the end, the penalty portion of the bill doesn't include that section yet. So let me explain what I mean. Section one of this bill deals with genital mutilation, cutting of the labia, female circumcision, etc. Section two is this new section that was tacked on that criminalizes gender-affirming care, including puberty blockers. 
blockers. Okay. Now, before that amendment was tacked on, the penalty for genital mutilation was a felony, as was transporting a child over state lines to commit genital mutilation, Uh. to do anything that was prohibited by Section 1, which deals with genital mutilation, right? And this is where it gets real racist, right? The bill criminalizes genital mutilation, quote, regardless of ritual or custom. So we know that this bill was meant to address female circumcision and not puberty blockers, right? Right. So because this bill was amended to tack on gender-affirming care, the penalty provision hasn't yet been amended to include gender-affirming care and taking your kid out of state to get gender-affirming care as a felony. It's because, they, because they're passing these bills so fast that they're not being very careful in determining the amendments and what the amendments are going to apply to and whether or not the penalty provision should be widened to include the amendments that they've added, right? But this bill is still going to get to the Senate, and I think it's going to be amended in the Senate. So the long, the TLDR is that, yes, it will, in my estimation, be a felony for a parent to take their trans kid across state lines to get gender-affirming care, because in Idaho, they've made it a felony to do that. Yeah, this is just wild. So that part about amending the already existing genital mutilation bill, which I didn't know was the case for this legislation. You know, I have just seen sort of the headlines and and read the top lines as we were talking about it. This is really, truly nefarious. And I agree with you. I think that if they had just started this as a standalone bill, uh, like, you know, like HB 1452, going to go get trans kids and their families, it would have had that travel provision on it because it's clearly like, the trend du jour for conservatives right now. This is the thing. And we've talked a little bit about it. Like, you know, they're going to have to do something. They will not be satisfied to have places that are opening and accepting of comprehensive reproductive health care, of gender affirming health care, of abortion care. That will not be satisfying to them. They will want it eradicated everywhere. One of the ways they're going to try and do it is to go after the ability of people's rights to travel. Which like smacks of like almost like false imprisonment to me. Yeah. Right? Doesn't it? I mean, to say the least, it's constitutionally suspect, right? Like (laughs) to put it mildly. (laughs) I have some thoughts about that. Like Missouri. Yes. Let's talk about Missouri, please. Missouri. Because Missouri, how many open letters have I written to Missouri (laughs) telling them to calm their shit over the years? Like I've been working at Rewired News Group for a whole ass decade. And Missouri has been acting the fool the whole ass time. And now they're just ramping it up. So please, please, please. They are. And like, you know, the again, these like, you know, these aren't one offs. The idea that, you know, this we're seeing this idea bubble up in Missouri. Also, you know, something kind of similar taking place in, in Idaho, which, by the way, fast track in a six week band, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. OK, yeah. we got to get back to Missouri. So lawmakers there have taken the bounty in SB8, which we've talked about, you know, ad infinitum on this podcast and juiced it up. They've got this measure proposed by Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, who, by the way, adjunct law professor at St. Louis University, just want folks to know that, you know. Which, what? Like, I I feel sorry for her students. So anyway, adjunct law professor has proposed that anyone who aids and abets someone getting an abortion have, you know, civil liability, no matter where they get that abortion. So you help someone travel out of state, out of Missouri, 
right? Go to Hope Clinic in Illinois, for example, across the border. You now could face civil liability up to $10,000, all right? So Coleman's bill would extend that Texas-style SB8 bounty to Missouri, except expand it. Her version would allow private citizens to sue anyone who helps a Missouri resident obtain an abortion out of state, okay? So I mentioned Hope Clinic across the border in Illinois. Clearly, they're a target, and for that, you know, Coleman can pound sand. But, you know, in Missouri, it's already, you know, folks are already subject to civil liability if they help transport a minor across state lines to go get an abortion. That's already a law that's on the books. So what Coleman wants to do is take this law that blocks the travel of minors— functionally and apply it to everyone. The bill doesn't ap- doesn't allow for lawsuits against the uh, pregnant people, thankfully, so like one little tiny silver lining there, but it's going to chill their rights, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the entire point. Yeah, it's to make people afraid to exercise what is still a constitutional right as of Friday, March 11th, when we are recording this podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, it is absolutely bonkers. And the fact that they are... Ne- the- I keep talking about this because I really find it so distressing. This mass surveillance state that Republicans are erecting in order to force people to snitch on one another about activities that are going on in their own home, activities that have nothing to do with anyone but the parents and the families living in that house, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to have neighbors peeking into other people's windows to determine, oh, well, is that child, has that child transitioned? Is that child getting puberty blockers? Maybe I better report the parents to Child Protective Services. And oh, hey, we're living in a pandemic. Gas prices are rising. There's a land war in Europe. Everyone's financially struggling. It seems to me that states are incentivizing people to, to better their financial situation by snitching on their neighbors. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, you mentioned kind of a fever dream at the top of the show. And that really is what it feels like right now. Like, you know, Coleman is attaching this like, you know, travel ban uh, related to abortion functionally to a bunch of other abortion restrictions making their way through the Missouri legislature as though Missouri has any ability, honestly, to restrict abortion further in their state. I mean, truly, it's like folks are like, they they have the abortion fever and they are just going for it in any legislative way they can. You know, I, speaking of abortion fever, and I'm going to go off on a little tangent. This has just been bothering me for so long. Just the idea that this whole bounty hunter mechanism had to be done nine months before the Supreme Court was going to give all of these states the tools that they needed to gut Roe. Right. So this idea that they needed to do this now, I just find it. I don't know. I just find it really bothersome. I find the escalation, the sort of outrageous behavior that they're willing to do, whether it's the bounty hunters, whether it's saying grown ass people aren't able to leave the state if the reason they're leaving the state is to get health care for themselves or for their children. I just I have a real deep problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, too, and we've talked about this on on the podcast a bunch. These ideas aren't even really new in conservative circles. They were just really, truly existing in the fringe as of like 10 years ago. And now they have gone mainstream. The fringe of the conservative movement when it comes to abortion politics is now squarely the mainstream. So let me give you an example of of this. One of Republicans' pet projects forever during the Obama years especially was to try and pass some form of federal legislation 
legislation that would make it a crime to transport a minor out of state to get an abortion, right? And again, like we're, you know, putting these kinds of restrictions around minors are a little more palatable because of parental consent, you know, Mm -hmm. the idea of like taking a kid across states. Like, you know, I think for folks who aren't really that, you know, invested in the abortion rights fight, that sounds kind of reasonable, right? Amani, I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2012, one version of these bills was dubbed the Arrest Grandma Act. Do you remember this? Oh my God. (laughs) The supporters of the bill called this the Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act. And it would have made it a federal crime for anyone other than a parent to accompany a minor to another state for abortion care. All right. So what Coleman's trying to do in Missouri is take this idea and expand it to all pregnant people. Right. But then she adds a dash of that SB8 terrorism to finish it off. It's unconscionable, really. Like you can't force people to not seek health care in another state if the state that they live in is refusing to provide that health care. And again, abortion is health care. Gender affirming health care is health care. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Amani. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't well, want I don't want this too question. bad. <laughs> How? 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 Is this constitutional? Man. Man. (laughs) You're trying to get me to talk about the Commerce Clause, Jess. Look, you make me talk about civil procedure all the time. We did an entire episode last week that was all civil procedure. You get the Commerce Clause. It's payback. I just feel like this sort of retaliation is unnecessary in these uncertain times, (laughs) right? Can't we just get along? (laughs) But you're right. You're right. I made you talk about CivPro for weeks and weeks. So it's my turn. I can talk you about did. the Commerce Clause. So the right to the right to travel encompasses three separate rights. OK, let me let me. Just. It's, we do have a right to <laughs> travel. Though. The Constitution says the state can't make you stay in your home without a very damn good reason. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous. Right. So the, the right to travel generally encompasses three rights, three separate rights. Uh huh. The first is the right of a citizen to move freely between states. And there are a lot of legal scholars who will say who will say that this is a venerable right, but that doesn't have a lot of doctrinal basis. Right. There's nothing in like specifically in the Constitution that says everybody has the right to travel from one state to the other. However, there are clauses and provisions of the Constitution that basically say that. So penumbras, penumbra. Oh, my God. The emanation of penumbras. Exactly. So you have the right to travel between states. You have the right of a citizen of one state who lives in one state, but who happens to be temporarily visiting another state. They can avail themselves of the, quote, privileges and immunities of a citizen of that latter state. Right. That Mm -hmm. means whatever whatever laws and regulations go on in the state you're visiting, you can avail yourselves of those laws and regulations, even if you don't live there. Right. And then the third one is the right of a new arrival to a state who Mm -hmm. establishes citizenship in that state to enjoy the same rights and benefits as other state citizens. So it used to be things like if you move to a state, you had to live in that state for a year before you could, for example, obtain public assistance. Right. And the courts have said that's BS. If you move to a state, you can avail yourselves of of everything that state has to offer. Right. Which seems to make sense. So when it comes to health care, the Constitution protects the right to travel to get said health care also in three ways. 
via the due process clause, the privileges and immunities clause of the 14th Amendment, which I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. and the dreaded commerce clause. I'm having so much fun. I know you are because you see me struggling and I feel like we, we're we friends, we're family, we friends. and I feel like you're enjoying this a little bit too much. Not too much. <laughs> I'm enjoying it just the, the right, right amount. amount. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the privileges and immunities clause, quote, plainly and unmistakably secures and protects the right of a citizen of one state to pass into any other state of the union for the purpose of engaging in lawful commerce, trade, or business without molestation. I can go to Las Vegas, Nevada and buy some shit or sell some shit and not get harassed because I'm from Colorado, right? Like, that's the basic premise there. Exactly, exactly. The due process clause is a simple one, right? The right to travel is just one of the liberties guaranteed by the due process clause that can't be infringed without like a really damn good reason. Yeah. And then there's the old commerce clause. Ye old. Don't rub your hands together. (laughs) (laughs) She's literally. I don't know why I did that. She's rubbing her hands together. (laughs) I just took this to like an excellent. Like a cartoon villain turn. I don't know why. I really legitimately. I'm not a fan of the commerce clause. And I love the Constitution, though. Oh, for Christ's sake. Okay. So the (laughs) commerce clause is generally framed as a positive grant of power to Congress, right? They're allowed to regulate interstate commerce. Yeah. That makes sense. Under a theory called the Dormant Commerce Clause. Fucking lawyers. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) That's all I got to say to that. A dormant dormant constitutional clause. So there's the Commerce Clause, which says Congress can regulate a bunch of shit. And then the Dormant Commerce Clause says that this clause also prohibits state laws that unduly restrict interstate commerce, right? So Congress can regulate commerce Mm -hmm. and state laws can't unduly restrict interstate commerce. Right. So like this was a big deal if, you know, a state was like trying to engage in some really hyper economic protective measures in its own right, like not allowing if you lived in Massachusetts and, you know, the state of Massachusetts tried to pass a law that says we will not import um, or allow the consumption of any uh, Uh, seafood caught or, you know, purchased outside of state borders, right? Right. That's the kind of thing where the Dormant Commerce Clause would be like, hmm, maybe not a great idea. Right. And also, wasn't there like a huge case in con law where like New Jersey was trying to dump stuff in a landfill or New York wanted to dump shit in a landfill in New Jersey and the court got involved? I mean, there's a lot. The Commerce Clause is broad. The Commerce Clause is why why we have the gun control issues that we have right now, right? I mean, we could talk about that all day. I mean, look, it is it is the Commerce Clause is probably the constitutional principle that stitches our capitalistic economy together is how I would describe it. That is a very, very good way to describe it. And also, I'm having flashbacks to law school because when I was in law school, I went to law school to do con law, like equal protection stuff, you know, black people stuff, lady stuff. Oh, so you get excited to talk about it and it's like. I was so excited in con law. And then I got a con law professor who was obsessed with the Commerce Clause. I mean, he was a great professor and I learned about as much as I could. Barry Cushman, shout out to you if you're listening. Mm. But my my God, man, you were obsessed with the Commerce Clause. (laughs) But all of this aside, right? Yeah. Commerce Clause aside, privileges and immunities clause aside, due process clause aside. None of this really matters when it comes to protecting people's right to leave the state to either travel or get health care, 
if we've got six conservative justices on the court who are willing to say for some reason that a state's interest in upholding its abortion laws outweighs the interest to to travel, right? The state's interest in potential fetal life in its own borders outweighs the right of a pregnant person in that state's borders to exit that state to go get an abortion. Yeah. I mean, ain't that the truth? I have seen so many folks respond Rightfully so, I'm just going to say to every escalation that conservatives in these states have launched with, well, that's unconstitutional. They can't do that. And the reality is, is that we are at a place absent serious democracy reform where the Constitution means whatever the FedSoc 6 says it means ultimately. So is there a right to travel? Sure. Can states impinge on it to block access to health care their lawmakers don't like? Stay tuned is, I guess, what I would say to that. And I just have to reiterate this, like, this idea that Idaho will likely make it a felony for parents to take their kids out of state to get health care is shocking to me. Yeah. Particularly when we are staring down the barrel at the end of row. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're moving into a situation where people are going to be forced to carry pregnancies to term. And -hmm. then when they parent those children and they do a good job, because let's be clear, if your kid comes to you and says, I'm trans, can you help me? And you get them gender affirming health care. That is your job as a parent. You are being a good parent. And these states want to criminalize you for being a good parent. So I've been saying this on Twitter a lot, that these laws, these anti-trans laws, aren't just an attack on trans kids. They're Mm -hmm. an attack on parents. Yep, absolutely. And I think that that's something we need to keep at the forefront. Completely. Also, and like this is a thing with that has been driving me bonkers this week, Do you remember way back during the Holman's Health versus Hellestead days when the anti-choice numpties were passing trap laws, right? Those laws targeting abortion clinics specifically to overregulate them into closing? Yeah, yeah. That was that's a commerce clause issue. Definitely a commerce clause issue. Okay. So Missouri's latest nonsense got me thinking about those days and Mississippi specifically. So I'm gonna take you on a little journey. Stay with me. Okay. Oh, I love a journey. Lawmakers in Mississippi were defending a law designed to close the only abortion clinic in the state during the Holman's Health Days, right? They argued that it wasn't an undue burden on abortion rights if their state didn't have an abortion clinic because pregos could always cross state lines to access one if they really needed it, okay? What? Yeah, so hold on. Even the Fifth Circuit was like, mm, that sounds suspect. And reluctantly rejected that argument and blocked Mississippi's law. I mean, for a while, we thought Mississippi was going to be the first state in the country without an open abortion clinic when these trap laws were were all the rage. But the Fifth Circuit said, no, you can't do that, that states couldn't shuffle off their constitutional obligations to other states. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a line of precedent for this. They were citing, the Fifth Circuit was citing case law also from Missouri, who was trying to not, you'll love this, educate black folks in their public schools. They were like, they can go somewhere else for that. (laughs) Jesus. You see how it's all connected? It's all connected. And the Supreme Court was like, no, actually, you cannot, again, shuffle off your constitutional obligation to another 
another state, in this case, making sure pregnant folks can get abortions. So this got me thinking, Amani, with these new Trump judges, this upside down that we find ourselves in, could we maybe find ourselves in a world where states can both shut all the clinics in their state and prevent residents from traveling outside of those state borders to access care? You know, in my mind, I want to say no, because I cannot fathom a state basically saying to its residents, you can't leave the state to go get care. Mm -hmm. But also, it's not that surprising, right? I mean, because it's just this gross escalation. Dominoes are falling and th the prior domino leads to a more to a bigger domino that's going to lead to a big like it's just everything is escalating so quickly and it's becoming so bad all at once. And it's like they're throwing so much stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And it's hard to wrap your arms around all of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. We are going to be the, the only thing that is stopping states from being able to do that are judges on the bench. Right. And the judges on the bench are Trumpy. They're super Trumpy. They're hella Trumpy, as they as they say in the Bay Area. So. So, OK. And you brought up something at the beginning of the show that I want to get back into, because this is another thing. Like, I've had some thoughts this week. This has been a week of thoughts. Oh, I love Jess's <laughs> so thoughts. So much has been happening. And I, my brain has been spinning for all of this. But you were talking about snitch culture, right? You were talking about the ways in which Texas in particular and the Supreme Court's enablers um, really on the bench by allowing that provision, the citizen enforcement provision to take effect, really are talking about snitch culture, enabling folks to peer into each other's windows, all of this stuff. And there was something about that that was like feeling uncomfortably familiar. And I, this is, Amani, this is evangelical culture in legislative form. So like where I grew up, you know, evangelical Christians, you know, very conservative Catholics, the thing that they were obsessed about was this idea of deviancy, right? Like social deviance. It sounds so like 50s old school, but that's truly where we're where we're heading, folks. But like this idea that like, you know, feminists, brown folks, communists, like they, you know, queers, like actual language, you know, used in those spaces, those were the deviants. And social really like Forms of social terrorism, functionally, were used to keep people in line, mm -hmm. you know, culturally, the way that kids treated each other, the way that schools behaved, all of that. And it feels like we are headed back to a time, except now that's in full force and effect. Like, there's no way you have the kind of stuff happening in Missouri and the kind of stuff you have happening in Idaho and Texas and Alabama all of that's about enforcing very specific cultural norms. So what happens when you give a lot of evangelicals law degrees and put them in power? And it's frightening because they really are sort of just, it's like a spider web. They're just infecting all areas of government. And, you know, during the Trump years, we had a bunch of ADF people in HHS and the Health, Department of Health and Human Services. And they're gone now, but they could come back. And I yes. just I'm just so concerned. I'm just I'm just really concerned about the direction that this country is going. I feel like we are backsliding into Jim Crow. Like I yeah. just there's really no other way for me to express that. And I find it distressing just as a black person, particularly, but just as a human. Like, yeah. what are we doing as a country right now? It's frightening. 
it's frightening that we're planning on like increasing the carceral state right to include parents who already have children that they need to take care of at home children who they've decided that they're going to support in whatever gender identity sexual journey sexual orientation journey that they're on and we're criminalizing that while forcing them to have these kids yeah ah yeah. and it's not like it's folks who don't know what they're doing proposing these kinds of measures. Right. I just want to remind folks that Coleman in Missouri is an adjunct law professor. She knows better. This isn't just like picking random stuff out of the wind. She knows what she's doing. She's trying to do this. This is with intention. So the courts aren't going to save us. They're not going to save us. And this has been going on. I mean, we've been working at this together for 10 years now. I mean, this mm -hmm. has been, it's been a slow burn up until about the last year. And now it's yeah. just like, whoo. Yeah. It's like a fuse has been lit. Mm-hmm. And it's frightening. They see an opening and they're going for it. They really are. And they don't really care about. They don't. They don't care about common sense. They don't care about who they Norms. hurt. They don't care about children. They care about nope. control. They care about nope. power. They care about increasing their winnowing demog demographics. And that's 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 really depressing. Well, um, we should wrap up. But I do want to point out something that was really, really alarming that I learned of yesterday. And that is that one of the sponsors of this Idaho bill that that criminalizes, quote, genital mutilation and then also puberty blockers said that she sees this law as an extension of the pro-life movement. And I was speaking with um, someone on Twitter who had read Abigail Schreier's book. Yeah. And part of the, the panic around trans people is that they're concerned that people who become trans aren't going to want to give birth. Right. Yep. So all of this is still wrapped up in this concern about winnowing demographics. If they can stop this, quote, trans panic and mm -hmm. keep people in the gender that they were, quote unquote, born with, then right. that means that they can have more women to birth more babies. Right. So when I say that voting rights and trans rights and abortion rights are all connected, this is what I mean, because they see it as connected. They're using disenfranchisement in order to push these policies that are really so destructive and so regressive. And the only way that they're going to be able to do it is if they've got the power of the state, if they have police power behind them. And that's what this is about. And that's frightening. Ugh. And on that note, going to oh, leave boy. you on that cheerful note. If you want to talk to us about this on Twitter, we could maybe help you make you feel better. Yeah. I'm at Angry Black Lady. Jess is at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You should follow us on all of our social channels. We are breaking news on the regular, on Twitter, on Instagram, Rewire News Group. Please follow us and... Hey, and if you're seeing something in your states and you're like, what is this? Hit us up on Twitter because chances are we have something about what's going on. Yeah. Money and I and our team has been doing this for a while. So you're seeing some new piece of legislation. You're like, what is going on with Missouri and ectopic pregnancies? Guess what? Money's got a piece for you. I do have a piece for you. But because my mentions are a disaster, direct your reply to Rewire News Group, please. Because our social media manager, she is all over it like, like brown on rice <laughs> so it's fantastic and on that note see you on the tubes folks we'll have to see you on the tubes boom lawyered is created and hosted by jessica mason piclo and imani gandhi mark filetti produces the show 